Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is The Good Life, Part 8, Peacemakers, recorded Sunday, February 25th, 2024. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Dan with today's message. Well, over the last several weeks, we've been working our way through the Beatitudes where Jesus gives us an introduction or a table of contents of everything that he planned to teach, both in the Sermon on the Mount, but also through his whole three-year ministry. And last week, Scott talked about the pure in heart, reminding us that the only pathway to purity is through Jesus and his sacrificial gift. There's not a person or a past that can't be redeemed. Jesus' purity can become our purity. And today we shift into the final set or triad of Beatitudes, the ones that deal with conflict and pain and hurt and difficulty, how the followers of Jesus are impacted by our world, but also that we can be those who impact the world around us through a way of living that makes life better. And you need to understand that when we talk to you about this table of contents, we're talking to ourselves first. I had to wrestle through these concepts this week uh, and, and, and overcome some tendencies that I have in the area of peacemaking. So today we fall into Matthew 5, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And there's a beautiful promise in this that as we follow Jesus more and more in our lives, we begin to mimic his approach to life, especially in how we deal with these difficulties. I don't know if you've had someone say to you in a positive way that the way you do something reminds me of the way your dad used to do that or your mom used to do that. A mannerism or a saying or uh, an approach, maybe even just your posture that you learn simply by watching the people who raised and impacted you. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is offering us, both in the area of peacemaking, but also in Matthew 11, starting in verse 30, when he told us this, are you tired? You're worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that just sounds like such a good life, doesn't it? To learn from Jesus what it looks like to to live in a way that reduces those things that weigh us down and, and wrap us up in this world that's full of conflict. See, because Jesus lived his life With the mission and purpose of peacemaking, we're called to the same kind of mission. So what does it look like to be a peacemaker or to be one who brings peace? The very word peacemaker, it calls back to a Hebrew word from the Old Testament, shalom. It's a word that people would use with each other when they would greet each other and when they would say goodbye to each other. They would simply say shalom where we would say hello and goodbye, and it meant wholeness and safety and completeness. It's this attitude we have towards others in life. May you be full of well-being. In one of his short stories, Ernest Hemingway 
told the story of a dad in Madrid who was trying to find his wayward son. Didn't have any idea where he was. He just knew he was somewhere in this large city and didn't know how to find him. So he put an ad in the newspaper that simply read Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paco is such a common name in Spain that when the father showed up to the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday, he didn't see just his son. He saw 800 young men named Paco, all in hopes that it was their Papa who had placed the ad. And we love stories like that because it feels a little bit like a Hallmark movie. We like the idea of restoration and mending of relationships. So peacemaking is the process of returning someone or some situation back to a place of goodness, back to God's original intent in creation. So it's all about stepping into conflict and discomfort with a heart for restoration. It can take shape in a lot of different circumstances, coming alongside a friend who's Choices have blown up their life or the choices of someone else blew up their life. Now, helping to meet the desperate needs of someone around you, but most often, and I think to the heart of what Jesus is teaching here, resolving conflict between people and parties of people. And that's where it gets tough because it's never as easy as planning a or putting a personal ad in a newspaper. There's work that has to be done. I love what Pastor Derwin Gray says about this. He says, the idea of peace is gorgeous until someone offends you and you have to be the one that walks across the hot coals of fear, anger, and frustration to rehab and restore the relationship. And for most of us, one of the definitions of a good day is when there is no conflict. You go through your work day, you go through your family life, you go through your social circles, and it's just a good day that no one's angry with each other, there's no disagreement, there's no argument, there's no fight. But those days don't come very often. We know that conflict is a normal part of life, and, and it can be that really good thing that calls for us to step up and step in to acknowledge that something isn't right and work hard towards resolution. And so the question is, how do we do that? The psychologists and sociologists love to study this stuff, how people respond to the challenges in life. Over 100 years ago, a man by the name of Walter Cannon published his finding that's still prominent today in textbooks, that all of us respond to conflict in either fight or flight. It goes like this. The fight or flight response is an automatic physiological reaction to an event that is perceived as stressful or frightening. The perception of threat activates the sympathetic nervous system and triggers an acute stress response that prepares the body to fight or flee. For those of us who prefer pictures in our textbooks, it looks a little bit like this. It looks like a person who's met with some kind of conflict and they're either putting boxing gloves on or they're running the other direction as fast as they can. Not sure where he got Barney Rubble's clothing, uh, but I'm a guy who appreciates pictures that, that explain complex ideas. 
And so let's look at these tendencies in terms of how we respond as followers of Jesus to a lack of peace. See, a lot of us belong to the camp of flight. When things get a little bit heated, you just want to say, bye-bye, right? You just want to exit stage, right? You just want to get out of here. You don't want to deal with that. And I fall into that category way too much in my life. Uh, in fact, sometimes we use these, these gifts, right? We use these things in a text conversation or just this attitude of, let me just get out of here a little bit. If that one doesn't quite hit you, here's another one. We can do these all day, okay? We can just keep going through these because it might be easier than dealing with some of those tendencies that we have. This one is for Josh Sykes and all cat lovers. Just got to get out of here, right? Whatever it takes, get me out of the situation. I have no idea what this next one is, but it accurately communicates the tendency. See ya, right? And then finally, our friend Jim Halbert, just get me out of sight. We love those things because it's easier than dealing with conflict itself. And for some of you, if you are in this camp, maybe it makes you be able to laugh about the uneasiness you felt as soon as I said the word conflict a few minutes ago. And there may be times when it's the right approach. If you see other people who are trying to work through their differences, you don't need to put yourself in the middle of their process. You don't have to explain to your neighbor why the political sign in their front yard makes them an idiot. You don't have to do that. When there's a Facebook post that takes you to level nine, there is no law that says that you have to reply to that. You can step away from conflict from time to time. But when it comes to a lack of shalom between you and another person, Running away is simply kicking the can down the road. And the truth is that we all want peace and quiet, but all too often we're willing to settle for quiet. And when we do this, we act as peacekeepers rather than peacemakers. And you and I both know that ignoring an infection doesn't make it better. You've watched enough of Dr. Pimple Popper that you know that a small infection ignored only grows. We have to be willing to address unhealthy things or it turns into something much worse. I love Psalm 34, verse 14. It says, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Do you hear all those action words? Turn away from, search for peace, work to maintain it given us an instruction, and it's given us a recipe for how we can go towards peaceful situations. Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the early church that is going through their fair share of conflict, and he says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. So psychology would tell us that if we're not in the bye-bye camp, then we likely belong to the people of the bullhorn. If something even begins to look or smell like an infection, you are all over it. You put the, bo the boxing gloves on and you're ready to go after it. If the flight people are looking to exit a conflict, fight people no doubt are looking to win the conflict. 
And if a person who wants to win is pitted against another person who wants to win, you end up with a great action movie plot, but a terrible reality. It's a zero-sum game where there will be a winner and a loser, and things aren't going to go well. It's mutually assured destruction. The person on the other side of the conflict becomes a lesser than and someone for you to overcome. A coworker gets or takes credit for something that you've done or worked on. A friend lets slip something that you thought you had told them in confidence. You watch the evening news and decide that 50% of the nation must not be educated. The sin of all sins, you're on the interstate and you and 20 other people are in the passing lane trying to go by a a slower truck and, and some guy just zooms by all of you in the right lane and it kicks you into action and you know what I'm talking about if this is you, where you decide the interstate is now a NASCAR track and the, the objective is to be bumper to bumper and draft off of each other and to create as dangerous of a situation as possible. Maybe even stepping into our parking lot before or after Sunday morning services is the thing that kind of gets you riled up. I took some footage off of our security cameras between services from last week and, and just the chaos that can take place there. And some of you are saying, I know that's not Third City's parking lot because I see at least five empty spaces, right? <laughs> and so you know that those situations, you can go right from, you know this is true, you can go right from hearing uh, a message about good news about the gospel in here, and three minutes later you can be out there just shaking your fist at people because conflict is hard. And all joking aside, the disagreement between you and another person becomes a battle and ends up with you living a life of clenched fists. In his book, The Good Life, Derwin Gray says that this is what happens when we live with clenched fists. You, you bring anger and resentment into every relationship. You're so caught up in the past that you can't enjoy the future. You're so wrapped up in the wrongs that you don't enjoy the things that are right, and you become depressed and anxious, and you move through life with grudges that keep you from enjoying all the good things in life. You see, a a bullhorn approach may help you win the argument, but you will most certainly lose the relationship. James, the brother of Jesus, a pretty bold guy himself, gave us this advice in James chapter 1. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Jesus teaches us and shows us that there's a third way. We don't have to be controlled by either fight or flight, as the world defines uh, when we are in conflict. We don't have to exit and we don't have to win. You can actually work to resolve conflict. A peacemaker is a person who addresses brokenness in their world, who brings justice where there is injustice, offers comfort to the hurting and compassion to the brokenhearted, and works to restore shalom in in, in fractured relationships. Instead of saying bye-bye, We're picking up the bullhorn. It's the way of the basin. In John chapter 13, Jesus is having dinner with his 
disciples, and he knows it's the last time that he'll be gathered together with them before he goes to the cross. And there's a lot of things that are going on. There's, there's some tension. There's a few disciples who are jockeying for power and position. Who's going to be at your right and who's going to be at your left? And the rest of the disciples are upset about their hunger for power. But he also knows that a bigger conflict is developing that everyone at the table will fail him in the hours and days to come. He'll experience betrayal and denial. And he knows that every one of his friends and followers will desert him in one way or another. And he doesn't run away from them, but he also doesn't lay into them. Instead, he picks up a basin of water. Starting in verse 2, we read, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him an authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't need, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Peter protested, no, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. There's a lot of things, big things taking place in this story, but for today, I want us to just grab onto this. Jesus doesn't just show his love and compassion and concern for his disciples. He shows them and us a better way to deal with disagreement and conflict. See, washing feet in that day was reserved for the lowest of servants. And on taking on that role, Jesus demonstrated his willingness to serve and reconcile relationships with the people around him, to truly repair the brokenness that was about to unfold. He shows us an attitude and priority that we ought to have in the brokenness that surrounds us. That we can be the kind of people who bring peace in any kind of situation. The idea is not that we run down to Walmart or Baumgarts and look for something that would work as a base, and that was something that happened in their society as a normal part of what they did. It might look different for us. It might look more like apologizing for what you need to apologize for, working to remove the barriers that have been built up in a relationship. And I want you to hear this really clearly. If it is a relationship that has been harmful to you, this sermon, this topic is not telling you that you should step back into a relationship that is dangerous. What it is saying is that you can go separate ways with a person, but let go of the toxicity and the grudge that is burning a hole in your gut. Maybe it means that you actually sit down with your get-off-my-lawn neighbor and get to know them. Or you invite the coworker you've been butting heads with to Easter at Third City in hopes that they'll find the same kind of hope and restoration that you found. 
You'd be a blessing to a young person paying their way to go to a camp this summer in hopes that they will find out what this peacemaking Jesus is all about and bring shalom back into their life. And it might be as simple as letting the other person take the parking spot (laughs) without muttering under your breath. Maybe instead you pray for them. With a few minutes that we have left, I want us to focus on two things, and it's how and why. So first, how. I love uh, what this pastor, Dan Ruda, says about uh, the how of this. First is, peacemakers go first. Whether you're the offended or the offender, initiate. Time does not heal all wounds. The infection will not take care of itself. Resentment over time you've heard this before, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to drop dead. Don't wait for a day when it does not seem frightening. I can promise you that day is not coming. But we're also promised that as we step into those moments, perfect love drives out fear. 1 John 4 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Second, peacemakers fight fair. You start with what's your fault. You use words like I and my and me rather than you and your. And I've learned this one by experience. You never use the words you always, right? You don't use those words because it's not true. And it just puts everyone in that clenched fist mentality. James 4 says what causes fights among you? Doesn't it come from the desires that battle within you? Understand this, it's okay to disagree, but you don't have to be disagreeable. And Rick Warren says, you don't have to be eye to eye, but we ought to strive to be hand in hand. No threats, no malice, no insults, no name calling. We fight fair. And then third, peacemakers keep focus because you can have reconciliation without resolution. You can agree to disagree. Most conflict is usually about the thing underneath the thing. So keep focus on winning the person and not the argument. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So if that's the how, let's talk about the why. The why is the blessing. For they will be called the children of God. I love what Scott McKnight wrote about this. He says, the church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another is a new kind of family. And when this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed to be by God. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. Third city, I can promise you this, our world, our city, here, Broken Bow, wherever you're watching online today, They're dying for this. They're desperate to see us step into conflict around us in a way that brings resolution. They're 
desperate to see living examples of Paco and his papa. They see division, they see hatred, they see brokenness all day, every day. What they want to see is a group of people who will take shalom with them everywhere they go and offer it to the people in their lives. And so let's be the kids who take on the best qualities of our father. Colossians 1, 19 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. Colossians 1 says, As a result, he has brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Can I just tell you, I'm thankful that we have a father who's done far more than place some personal ad in a newspaper, just hoping to be reunited with his children. Step down off of a throne, put on human skin, lived a perfect life, and was willing to take on all of our crud so that we can be with him, so we can live this life with him, and that we can spend all of eternity with him. And he invites us to meet him at the cross. Does it in a couple of ways. One is in that baptistry. Romans 6 says it's the opportunity that we have to join Jesus, to, to meet Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he gives us this beautiful moment that we take advantage of every Sunday where we take a piece of bread and a cup of the fruit of the vine and we remember, we celebrate that we have a God who is a peacemaker. We have a God who has returned us to a place of shalom. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for this moment. We're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for the fact that you have shown us with your own life what it looks like to be a peacemaker. Help us in these next couple of minutes to simply sit in that moment of gratitude, to be thankful for the actions that you took for every one of your kids. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the lack of shalom that exists around us, sometimes it's, sometimes it's our fault, no doubt, and sometimes it's not. We just encounter someone who is struggling. We can be a peacemaker there as well. Uh, when our daughter, who's now a lovely young woman, was in kindergarten, I had some doubts for just a moment. The principal called. And I knew from when I was that age, when the principal called, you go to the neighbor's house, right? Like, you just get out. The principal called to say that a boy in her class had given her a kiss. So now, clenched fists, Right? I found out what had taken place. It was the middle of the school year, and this boy had just moved there. It's his first day, and he had some special needs, and so a lot of kids just felt like he was awkward. And they were at recess, and he was standing all by himself, and 
man, my daughter just walked up to him and said, come play with my friends. And uh, she returned shalom to a little kid. And I just, I just remember thinking, I'm so proud of her. I think it's the same moment that God has with us when he sees us do this with anyone in our lives where he looks at us and he says, that's my kid. That's my kid who's willing to step into whatever it is that has ruined a relationship or threatens to ruin a situation and says, I'm going to be a peacemaker here. And so we go first, we fight fair, and we keep focused. And sometimes that means we really do have to surrender. It's given up the hurt. Because you've heard it said before, hurt people hurt people, but the opposite is true as well. Loved people, love people. Let's be that kind of people. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.